No, it's not my son that's getting baptized. Um, Jude, can you come up here, please? Have a seat. I think it'd be better for us to sit down. I think there's a little bit of a height discrepancy, right? I remember when I first met Jude, uh, it was on a Wednesday night. Uh, we were packing food. It was, I had just arrived. It was one of my very first weeks here. And Jude and Ian and uh, Rebecca came out and, and they were helping us. And I was like, hey, you need some help? Like, no, I got it, Pastor Art. You know, he, if you have not spent time with Jude, you, he has a mannerism that I think is really cool. He'll just like look at you and just bob his head like, yeah, I got this. Very confident young man, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I'm not going to say a whole lot about you here, Jude, because you, you have been studying with your grandfather, uh, Pastor Rick and grandmother. And you, ha- you are here today as a result of a strong family influence. Um, which I think is really, really cool. And you have some things to share. I'm not going to ask you to share it here because there's a video that's going to express exactly what you want to share. But before your baptism, uh, I wanted the church to, to see who was getting baptized. But I have to ask you three questions. Uh, and they're very easy. Okay. Uh, the first one is, do you believe that Jesus came and died for your sins, and as a result, you choose to publicly accept him as your personal and savior through baptism? Yes, I do. All right. Amen. Do you believe in, in the doctrines of the Seventh-day Adventist Church? I do. And... You're good. And do you uh, vow, that's a pretty strong word, right? Do you promise to keep and live by those, those principles um, through the, for the rest of your life? I do. And do you believe in the second coming of Jesus, that he's coming back to get us, and those that have died in him, that have chosen to live according to his will for our lives? I wholeheartedly, I wholeheartedly believe All right. Amen. Amen. I see no reason why to not keep him from getting baptized. Um, not that I have any authority in that, but it's also a privilege to recommend um, Jude as a result of his baptism to... Accept him as a member of this, the Naples Seventh-day Adventist Church. Do we have a motion? motion. I'll, take, I'll take that as a first and a motion and a second. Amen. All those in favor, um, please say welcome. 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 All right. So, Jude, um, you know what to do next. Uh, but I, I want to commend you for your decision. And may God continue to bless you. Amen. Somebody once said that baptism is like going up a down escalator. You're picturing that in your mind. 
because we've all, we've all been there and we've tried that. The moment you take your first steps running up are very easy because you're excited. But there's going to be a moment that that excitement is going to decrease and you're going to get tired. As long as you keep looking at your goal, which is the top, as long as you keep looking to Jesus, you'll reach your goal. Keep, keep looking to Jesus. All right? Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, we know that this is a decision that Jude has made because you have placed a, a desire for him to serve you in his heart. This is not a decision that he has come to because of pressure, because of outside influence, other than that you have placed in his heart a, de a desire to, to be with you. So I pray that you oversee him, that you protect him, you guide him, fill him with your spirit, and may this community of faith be an instrument to guide him in his personal growth with you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. I think at the time, like it wasn't too serious. At the time it was serious, but right now thinking back, it wasn't that serious, but it was kind of like a struggle I was going through with my friends and stuff. Like, I don't know, I just felt lonely, left out for some reason. Uh, it, it happened on a bus on my way to a thing called Campaigners. And I just felt like really alone at that time. And it's unexplainable, but uh, my mom told me to like pray and just like talk to God. And for some reason, um, for some reason, I wonder why I just started feeling better, you know? Um, like everything felt better and I had fun for like the rest of the week. So um, definitely a comforting experience that kind of started me off. Yes, I do have a favorite scripture which I'll be reading from here. It's from Romans 14, 13, and it says, So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. It speaks to my heart because me personally, I've been dealing with this for a while now. Like, I feel like I'm not really good enough. Um, and I feel like us as Christians, we should never make someone, uh, we should never condemn another Christian just because they may have different interpretation than us. Because um, at the end of the day, we're all Christians and every knee will bow to God. Every tongue will confess to God. I've definitely learned that God is loving and forgiving no matter what. Um, and I've learned that he has a plan for all of us and that maybe we, be, we may be going through something that we might not have wanted to happen, but it's all part of his plan, you know, everything. He, he's got the whole world in his hands. Yeah, he's got the whole world. 
Well, the prophecies were definitely important because one of the first prophecies he made was that Jesus was going to come into the world and he was going to, uh, and again, there's a lot of really cool, I guess, prophecies that he spoke and it definitely shows that he knows what's going to happen in the future, so why would we doubt him? Because he knows what's going to happen 10 years in the future, a billion years in the future, a trillion years in the future, so... Uh, he knows kind of everything that's gonna happen that he has a plan for all of us and he knows that we're gonna go to heaven he's building it right now it really depends on how it's sung if you're really praising then i like it but in particular i don't really have a favorite one it's just as long as you're praising with your heart comes to my mind right now god loves you from that first experience that I mentioned early, earlier, I thought, um, like, I really want to know this God guy, because I've heard about him, I've gone to church a few times, but, you know, this time I really want to learn who he is, and, like, during that I said, like, oh, I want to be baptized, uh, like, it kind of, that was kind of like, that's kind of my goal, and through learning about him more, it's, been kind of solidified that yeah I want to learn more about gun I want to um, turn my path back towards him because I know in my life at that time I was going the wrong way and I hope that being baptized is just gonna show that I've decided to turn my life towards God we have family here who have traveled a long way right yes I think it'd be cool if you guys came up and watched from up close. Mm -hmm. So as we've uh, continued to study together, we always knew that you were special and God had put a special anointing on you, Jude. And some of the things that you put together in, uh, in our study together um, were just amazing to see how God gave you the ability to connect the dots and you took the point that we were making and took it even further. Uh, God has given you a beautiful intellect he, and I've also seen you um, when you think about those that are close to you and wanting them to be in the kingdom with you. I've seen the tears in your eyes and how you deeply you felt this burden for family and friends. So Jude, I, I just see in you that you have been anointed to be a lion of God because you love the Lord deeply. You are humble. You know that you are not everything that you will be, but you are certainly in a state of becoming. And just know that the love of Jesus will follow you all the days of your life. So now receive not only the water of the baptism, but the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because you love the Lord, I now baptize you, Jude, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, when, uh, Kendall, you shared that, that music with me for the first time, I was like, oh my goodness, that's a cool tune. 
Um, it reminded me of a story of a, of a pastor who, he was pastoring in a rural area of, of Brazil. And uh, now he's sharing me this story years after the fact. And he said, hey, Pat, you know, he, he became my mentor and he was sharing me that this gentleman came up to him and says, Pastor, I've been thinking about baptism. But I have a special request. And, and, he, and he said, oh, well, what's that? So I want you to say whatever it is that you're going to say for my baptism. And as you're saying, I'm going to run to the river and I'm going to jump the 20 foot cliff as you're praying for the anointing of the spirit. So when I go down, I go down deep. And when I come back up, I come back a new man. And he said, no way. <laughs> but then he said, now looking back, I would have done it. You know, it's, it's hard to contain. Um, as a pastor, um, I hope to get to a place where Rick is. Uh, and I, because if that was my son or grandchild, eventually, hopefully, that I get to baptize, I don't know if I'll be able to keep it together. I barely could keep it together here. <laughs> and, and Jude is, is not my son, but he's my sheep, if I use the shepherd role metaphor. But it's exciting. This is one of the coolest things about my job. And if you have never brought somebody, or if you have never studied with anybody, and saw them in that process of from the beginning of your Bible study to the end where they're getting baptized, I promise you, there's no feeling like it. And, if, and I'm going to go as far as to say that if you are a Christian and you have never brought somebody to Christ in that capacity, you have no idea what you're missing out. And that brings us to Laodicea our last and final church. We're going to talk about in a very uh, kind of a spitfire per se method because we have a lot to do. I, 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 I was even given the, the advice, say, Pastor, break up this church into two sermons. I'm like, man, I don't know if I should. So I've decided to hit the highlights since this is a communion Sabbath as well. So I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles with me to the book of Revelation chapter 3, beginning with verse 14. And before I start, I'd like to invite you to bow your heads with me as we pray. Father God, What a high Sabbath this has been so far. Lord, we are thankful and grateful for how you have blessed us with one more member of our church here publicly 
announcing to the world that he wants to follow the lamb wherever it goes. So Father, as we are going into this last church of the seven churches, I pray that your spirit will lead us as we discuss this, as we talk about this, as we hear you through this vessel that is broken and unperfect. May your spirit lead us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The church of Laodicea, as, as we understand it, is a church that encompasses a very recent time in history, in earth's history. We believe that this church picks up where Philadelphia stops in mid-1800s. We know that the Seventh-day Adventist church didn't begin in 1844. The actual date doesn't, of the inception, the initiation of an organized church didn't happen until roughly 1856 in the mid-50s, if, if my memory is correct. So in 1844 was not the beginning of Adventism. The beginning in, in 1844 was the beginning of an awakening to the second coming and the function of who Jesus is. However, the church of Laodicea doesn't end with us today. And a lot of times where we look at these uh, revival meetings or, or we have heard evangelists talk about the Laodicean church, they say 1840s to present. Real, in re, realistically speaking, the Laodicea church in, in, in the time that it spans, it begins in the 1840s. And it goes through to just before the second coming of Jesus. That's a long time, right? Well, think about it. 1840s is, is roughly 180 years away. In the concept of time from the creation of this world, 180 years is nothing but a drop in the bucket. And in the context of time, when we look at Jesus' uh, second coming in the overall divine plan, it's not going to be a very long time. But it becomes a long time for you and me. Why? Because we are living day to day. At least we should be trusting in God's leading. And so the reason why this church sometimes lacks what it, it's lacking is because it's set up in a time where, can we get uh, the screen here fixed, please? Um, is lacking is because We don't know when Jesus is coming. Jesus himself said that I do not know the hour of the day except the Father who has sent me. So like a little child, we become impatient, frustrated, because things aren't moving fast enough. I know my kids don't like me calling them out when I speak. But one of the things that they have constantly 
drilled into me is like, Dad, come on, let's go. Let's move. Let's go. It's starting to get boring. Let's go. Let's move. And we, as Adventists, we have gotten to that point where we've been there, done that. We've seen it. Oh, man, when is this ever going to end? And then what happens is what happens with Laodicea. The Laodicean church is the last church. And it's interesting when you look at the map because it's located between Hierapolis and Colossae. Now, Colossae, if you understand the, the Bible, it's where we have the letter to the Colossians that Paul wrote. And Paul writes, if you, when you read the book of Colossians, that he says, hey, please feel free to share what I have shared with you with the church of Laodicea. And if this is news for you, I encourage you, go home, read the book of Colossians, because it's going to give you a small window into the theology and the deficits, the theological deficits that the Laodicea church had, because they share a lot of the same interests with the church of the Colossians. Some of the interesting facts about Laodicea, and I just learned this just recently, and it, is that the amphitheater that they have, which is not far from this temple, is being rebuilt by the Turkish government. And there they look to establish cultural fair uh, demonstrations, and they're going to utilize that amphitheater again. And there's pictures online with these huge cranes and huge marble slabs already piled up and they're working to restore that amphitheater to in its original location that was established 2200 years ago but Laodicea was a church that was named after Laodice a the wife of a, of a Seleucid king uh, Antiochus II who later went on to divorce his wife I mean can you I can't imagine the you name a city after your wife and then you divorce her and now forever there's a city being, I mean, I think that's just ironic. Um, kind of like a tattoo. <laughs> it is forever in your body. Right? And there are some things, well, I'm not going to go there. Um <laughs> It was destroyed by an earthquake. We saw that Philadelphia and Sardis were destroyed by an earthquake in the year 17 AD. This one was destroyed by an earthquake in the year 60 AD. But the, the people were so rich. They were so rich and so wealthy that they did not ask or they actually refused help from the Roman Empire to rebuild the city because they had enough wealth within it to build it up themselves. They were known for their black, glossy wool that was trademarked and commercialized all over the place. And they're also known for their, their optometry medical school. They would create this eye salve, which was a mixture of, of this powder and became kind of like a clay from a, a Phrygian powder, and they would apply it on people's eyes to help them have, restore their vision. 
So they were well advanced medically for their time. And when you factor in these things, this historical context, you begin to get a clearer picture of the message that you find in the book of Laodicea, for which we are going to start looking at right now. So Laodicea chapter 3, verses 14 through 17, it reads, And to the angel of the church of Laodicea write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness. Let me pause here real quick. We have already seen what the true witness is. We define that because Jesus is not the true as in the comparing to the false one. He's true because he is real. He is true because he exists. Okay? And and and, and here's the interesting we're going to talk about here. The beginning of the creation of God. This is the first time Jesus is introduced in this manner. The beginning of creation. Of the creation of God. I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. Which I think is an irony. When you think about it. So then, because you are lukewarm I will, and neither cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You starting to see a picture here? Remember at the very beginning of this, of, of this, of this, this series, I, I reminded you that Jesus introduces himself in a way that you will recognize him. And he also will use a language that you will recognize that will be easy for you to see what's wrong with you. And so now he's going straight for the jugular. The beginning. In the, in the Greek... The word archid, unfortunately, uh, the, the Greek font isn't there. But when you look at the word arche, which means origin, source, ruler, it's portraying not just the, a point in time, but also the authority in which it comes with it. Jesus is being pictured as the creator of a, the beginning of creation. John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Amen. Let me rephrase that. The Word is God. And so this, this context of understanding who Jesus is, He's not just a point in time, but He is the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the one who takes us and reveals to us the importance of our need to have a Savior. This is why when you read the book of Colossians, again, you see that Colossians is the, uh, Paul addresses Jesus as being the first of creation. The, he's the archa, he's the beginning of. Everything starts with Jesus. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Jesus is the one who created us. Isn't it interesting that our creator is the one who had to give up his life for us? 
But we also see this in the book of Isaiah, chapter 66, verse 17. It says the God of truth. He, see, again, playing into the, the, the language of, of the Laodicean, he intro, he's introduced as the true witness. Now in the book of Isaiah, Jesus or God is being introduced as the God of truth. And then it's followed by, behold, I will create new, a new heaven and a new earth. Man, I can't wait to see that. But in order for me to see that, we come to the crux of the matter. Cold, hot, lukewarm. See, the, the Laodicea was located in a place that didn't have very good water, potable water. And so they built an aqueduct that ran for six miles. And the water that flowed from the origin was icy cold. The Greek language here gives us that perspective, but not in the English translation, because cold, we, I have no cold water in my house. I don't, this is the first time, it's like I turn it on cold and it comes out lukewarm. I want cold water, man. And sometimes it, come out, it comes out in the cold setting, scalding hot. I'm like, what's wrong with this place? It doesn't do what I want it to do. But this is exactly the picture that Jesus is saying. Listen, I wish you were either one or the other because I know how to direct you. But you're neither, so I have to vomit you. And if you have ever vomited, I, I'm sorry I'm painting this really bad picture. It hurts, medically speaking. It hurts. Your insides contort itself in a way that it, it reverses what you and I were built for. It hurts to throw up. Nobody wants to do that. And when Jesus is saying, I wish you were one or the other because I, I can handle hot and I can handle cold, but the lukewarmness, I can't. And that's the difference. is because the, none of, they were neither scaldingly hot or freezing cold. And God wishes that we were one or the other. Because it's easier for, for him to direct us. The result of being lukewarm is indifference. This is not from Ellen White, and I couldn't find the author who wrote this, but it says, Members who are indifferent about the Lord's church are likely those who have invested the least of themselves into it. I mean, it, it sure makes, it falls right in line with the church of Laodicea because they were, they had everything. They didn't have need of anything. They were so wealthy, they refused the government's aid to rebuild the city because they, oh, we got this, we don't need you. I mean, they, they could build the entire city themselves. See, the consequences of indifference, it causes disgust with God. It causes us to be vomited out, and I'm saying us, 
collectively if we fall in that category. And secondly, what it does, it discourages others. What happens here is in Proverbs chapter 10, 26, it's like, like vinegar to the eye, like vinegar and, and smoke to the eyes. Have you ever stood behind a fire whose smoke is coming in your eyes? It hurts. It's uncomfortable. Nobody wants to be around people who are indifferent. People come to church because they want to be inspired. They want to be directed. They want to be uplifted. But if you are indifferent to God, don't come. Because God's just going to vomit you right out. It calls for action. It calls for you to make a decision. We'll get there here in a little bit. But number, number three, God's house is abandoned as a re- result of indifference. You see, when we look at it, hey guy began to talk to his church and said, listen, you have neglected the Lord's house. When you have everything that you need, you become comfortable in your own position and, you, and we don't want to sacrifice our comfort for the benefit of others. That's indifference. Because you, you now are in a place where, <clears throat> excuse me, I have arrived. You're, <coughs> you're in a place where it's going to hurt for me to take away from myself and put it to God or give it to God or bless others. You become indifferent to the outside, outsider's needs, and God's house is neglected. When we begin to see the work of God as being burdensome, be careful. You may be flirting with lukewarmness. Number four, the needy are neglected. And I kind of brushed over this just now. The, the poor you will have with you always, Jesus said. But I will not be with you always. Talking to his disciples. I just shared with you this morning, we fed over 90 families. I'm sure there are plenty more out there. And there are those who are in need, and, and there's, there's, I'm sure that there's more than what we could do. But that requires service. That requires volunteers. That requires time. That requires sacrifice. That which one who is complacent and indifferent will probably not want to sacrifice their, themselves for the benefit of others. Number five, we lose our soul. Thank you. Now, I want to be clear. When I talk about soul, this is the biblical definition of soul. The Bible says that when God created, when Jesus, he stooped down and fashioned us with his bare hands. 
and he breathed into the nostrils. Man became a living soul. And that is a culmination of the body that Jesus had sculpted in the dirt, in the dirt with the breath of life that came from heaven. A soul is not one or the other. It's the culmination of both. Therefore, when we die, we don't have either. The body is lifeless because the breath of life is not there, and the breath of God is not a living soul because it has no body. You need both of them. In other words, we die. That's what it means. He who keeps the commandment keeps his soul. Not about, again, I want to make sure this is not legalism. But if you want to follow God's will, we need to keep his instructions, his directions for us, his plans for us. Therefore, we keep what he wants us to do. But if we are indifferent, we begin begin to rationalize to ourselves the things that we think are correct. We begin to justify our decisions without going to God first. We begin by taking action on things without consulting the Almighty. And when we do that, we are just like the Laodiceans because we think we have everything but we have the, the more we become indifferent, the farther we step away from God in our relationship with Him. Let me say this: you can spend every morning in your knee on your knees. You can read the Bible every morning and still not be in a good relationship with God. Being in a relationship with God means that you surrender every aspect of your life including your plans personal plans that's the what happens if you're indifferent you don't surrender you try to fit god into that reality and you try to fit his will with your will but jesus said you cannot serve two masters it's either one or the other. No, there's no lukewarmness about this one. You're either on God's side on your, or, or you're not. So the text continues, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve. Remember what they were known for? Anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone who hears my voice opens the door and I come in to him, and dine with him, and he with me. You know, I love, I love this statement. I'll get to it in a bit. But the, 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 the counsel to buy is also one of humility. 
Why? You have to recognize that what you have isn't good enough. The Laodicean church believed that what they had was, was enough, but Jesus is saying, no, what you have doesn't even come close. What you have doesn't compare with what I have to offer you, and the gold that you think is good, no, 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 it has to be refined by fire. Usually, usually, it's something that you have to go through. See, when you become indifferent, you don't put yourself in a position where you are going to be tried. We don't put ourselves in a position where we're, our faith is going to be tested, but that's exactly what it means to be refined by fire. Is that you're going to be placed in a position where you're going to question the Lord, am I doing the right thing? And that's perfectly okay, and that's perfectly normal. There's no sin in questioning God if you're doing the right thing. It would be wrong to say, Lord, I'm not following you because I think my way is better. There's nowhere in the Bible that God reprimands somebody for questioning him as long as they're willing to follow him. But there is a reprimand for those that question him that says, I don't want to go. And this is one of them. So when, you, when we buy gold, buy fire, refined by fire, is that God is giving us experiences that is going to enrich our faith, increase our faith, and make us better Christians. The quality is actually what's at stake here. The quality of your relationship with God is what's at stake. Because you can get gold. You got 8 carats, 14 carats, and 24 carat gold. Which one do you want? 24 karat is the best. That's pure. But you only will receive pure gold if it's refined by fire. And hence we have our need for Jesus. See, the people here are accustomed to having their own wealth and parade their own wealth. I'm not talking about here. I'm talking about the church of Laodicea. They're accustomed to parading their wealth because they were wealthy. Recently in the news, we had the late passing of Queen Elizabeth, and this is the throne room of what it looks like in Buckingham Palace. Never been there. But we are promised to sit with Jesus, with him. That is the promise to the overcomer here. But I want, I want to highlight one thing. The throne in, in, in biblical times was not a chair. There were a bench. And so when Jesus says, you will sit with me and reign with me, it wasn't that you were going to sit on your own chair because you are in a... Now, this, the, one, the, the throne on the left was Queen Elizabeth, and the throne on the right was Prince Philip's. Notice the difference in title. There is no difference in the title that Jesus will give you because you're sitting on the same throne. 
You're sitting on the same throne with the same title because you will sit with me because I have bought you with a price. But in order for us to really, we need to be reminded constantly that we run the risk of going lukewarm. So that's why today we have communion. We as Seventh-day Adventists, we practice open communion. The conclusion of this sermon homily will come at the end of communion. But this is a good opportunity because if we are the church in the, in the context of time that we reflect the Laodiceans, that reflect our lukewarmness with Jesus, what better opportunity than now for us to practice something that Jesus himself established? The reason we, we celebrate communion for more, more than once is to remind us of the price that was paid, but to also we just had Jude being baptized today. It serves as a rebaptism for those that have been baptized already. Because you are confirming that Jesus came and he died, gave himself for our sins on the cross. And we are proclaiming that through his sacrifice, we have forgiveness of sins. And because he died, he rose again. And because he rose again, we have access to eternal life. So as we also practice open communion, you are welcome to do this, even if you're not a member of our church. But if you believe in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, and you want to reaffirm and reconnect your relationship with him and your commitment to him, this is an opportunity that's afforded to you. The book of Luke gives us a, a snapshot of what took place in the upper room. And at this time, if you would like to follow along, these, these words will not be on the screen. It's found in Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 23. The interesting part about this text is that it gives us a little bit of a perspective into what Jesus was thinking. It says, When the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him, Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Man, we're going to have this in heaven. That's the only way Jesus says, I'm going to do this is in the kingdom of of God. This is after the second coming. I'm going to jump down to verse 19. And he said, and he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This 
is my body, which is given for you. This time I'd like to call Linda to have our prayer over the bread. Please bow your heads. Our lovely Lord Jesus, you who loved us so much that after you made us, you came and you bought us back again and died for our sins, for our imperfections, for everything that wasn't good enough. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much. How can we thank you enough? We thank you for your presence here with us. We thank you for this ritual that you gave to the church before you left for heaven. And we take it upon ourselves now to prepare ourselves to receive the bread, the symbol of your body. We pray that you'll help us to be aware of our need to move aside for your presence. We pray that you would inhabit our very heart, our very soul, that we might be one with you, that we might truly be yours. Guide and direct us, Lord, as we live this life and bring us home to you. We ask that you bless the bread, Lord, that we are about to eat. In Jesus' name, amen. in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Now Dennis will have the blessing over the wine. I invite you to bow your heads. Heavenly Father, we come to you with grateful hearts. Grateful that you did not leave us to drown in the cesspool of sin. Grateful that you threw us a lifeline in the person of Jesus. So we pause today at his request to remember him, remember his gift like a dying seed so something else could live. We come also to celebrate forgiveness. We pray today that we will be forgiven in your eyesight because of your beautiful son. We thank you for giving him up for a time. We thank him for coming. And we thank him for sending another comforter while he's away. So we pray today that we will be attentive to the Holy Spirit. And that you will bless this emblem of his blood 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus reminds us that in verse 17, excuse me, 18, for I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. To, to abstain from something, we call that sacrifice. And if you've ever been in Berrien Springs in, in the fall, you will, you will, and you will smell the, the vineyards and, and the grapes. And I remember driving down the roads of, of Berrien County, smelling the grapes on the vines. And the best part about it you could pick as much as you want for a dollar a bag. And heaven is going to be free. Because it's our reward. But when we look in the face of Laodicea, there was something that needed to happen. And that challenge is to us, is open to us as well. See, when it says, I am at the door and I knock, I stand at the door and I knock, the literal translation should be, I am still at the door, still knocking. Because he's, every single day, he's waiting for us to surrender our lives to him. As I said, to him, to, to him who overcomes, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. God is knocking in your heart this morning. Some of you may, may, may say, well, pastor, I've already been baptized. I'm not appealing for baptism. I'm appealing for surrender. In order for you to open that door that Jesus is knocking, you need to get up. You need to get out of your couch, out of your chair. You need to get out of whatever it is that you're doing, and you need to allow him into your heart. That's the only way, because he will still there. The image of Jesus knocking, and there is no outside hinge, excuse me, um, door handle. Only you can open that from the inside. Only you can allow Jesus to come in into your heart. So this morning I've asked the, the praise band to do something a little different. We're not going to dismiss you with blessings. But we're going to dismiss you with a hymn that calls for surrender. That calls for you to open the door Allow Jesus to come in. It's there if you want it. It's there for you to choose. And he's not going to force you to open the door for him. But he will be there. He will stay as long as he needs to to knock until you open that door. May God bless you.
And I pray that you will have courage and open that door.